Amen. All right, you guys. Well, welcome to uh, week two of our sermon series called All In, where we love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, our mind, and our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. where we are going all in uh, to the great uh, commandment. Uh, today, we will be talking about loving the Lord your God with all of your soul. So, would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12? verses 28 to 30, uh, Mark 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 28 to 30. All right, and as we turn our Bibles there, I just want to remind us that, um, that loving the Lord your God with all your soul, it includes like every aspect of our being. It's like this holistic offering of worship unto God. Um, how many of you guys have heard the phrase, um, oh man, this is a, a, a soul-sucking job. Have you heard of that? A soul-sucking job. Perhaps you've been a, at a job like that uh, where when you hear that phrase, it reminds you of a situation that was like demeaning. You know what I'm talking about? Where it was depressing, unfulfilling, it was hostile, and it did not give you life. It actually sucked the life out of you. How about the phrase like soul-sucking relationship? You know, New Hope Windward, they just did a series called uh, Relational Vampires. That relationships, what to do with people that suck the life out of you. Uh, soul-sucking relationships, it's like those like toxic relationships that just zap your energy, that just drain your positivity and it's emptied your joy bucket. Your joy tank has been completely emptied because of a relationship. Uh, maybe it was a former boss. Maybe it was an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it was a classmate, a co-worker, an acquaintance, a neighbor. Maybe it was... Uh, an old or ex-church member that used to go to your church, but that would critique you for every single little thing that just drained and sucked the soul out of you. I, not that I can relate or anything, right? But uh, the idea of the soul, it carries a lot of weight. We can relate to the idea of having the life like drained and zapped out of you from having your soul drained. And today we're going to do a deep dive as to what that really means to love the Lord your God with all of your soul. So let's turn to Mark 12, verse 28 to 30. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Here it is, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And so, Father, I pray right now, Lord that you would uh, not only prepare our hearts, Lord, but 
you would stir our souls, O oh God, that we would delight, that we would take pleasure, that you would be our treasure, Jesus, that we would hunger and, and thirst after you right now, that loving you and um, delighting in you, that would be our portion and that would be our strength. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that um, you would give us eyes to see and ears to, he ears to hear your word. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, that we would be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we could be more like your Son, Jesus, in everything that we do. That, Lord, that today that we would be able to love you with all of our soul, which is all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this next uh, sphere or area of loving God is loving God with all of your soul. And the specific Greek word that's used in this text is the word suke, where we, where we get the words psychology, right? And uh, suke refers to the dis different aspects of the immaterial nature. Because Greeks and Romans during that time, they believed in a soul or the immaterial. So this is material, skin, flesh, bones, right? Very little hair left, beard, right? This is material. But the immaterial, it's almost like the spirit, okay? And that lived on when the physical body died. But the biblical text also refers to the word soul to the idea or the concept of life. It's not just soul as spirit, like this immaterial part of you, but soul in the Bible, it actually refers to life itself. And, and it's important for us to understand the original meaning of this word soul. Just like heart is primarily understood in our culture as, oh, heart as feelings and emotions and affections without uh, emphasizing the will in the same way uh, soul is not just this immaterial part of you but it is really is life it is the entire it's it's your whole being and your whole life biblically soul and life are, are used are used interchangeably or refers to one another what do I mean by that look at uh, Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 then Jesus told his disciples if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, suke, soul, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, suke, for my sake, will find it. 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his what? His soul, his suke. And what shall a man give in return for his soul? See, your soul is the entirety of your being. It is your life, who you are deep down, the essence of the core of who you are. Soul in the New Testament is more related to your life than it is to this idea, this Greco-Roman idea or concept of spirit. Let's go to the main point. What, what, what's the big takeaway for us? It's this, you guys. To love the Lord your God with all your soul means to love God with every part of your life and being. Loving God with your soul 
is to love God with every part, every aspect, every component of my life and of my being. What do I mean by every part of your life? Life is really the substance of who we are and what we do. It's the 24 hours of the, of the day that we live our lives and that we have our existence. It's the thoughts that we think. It's the words that we say, right? It's the actions that we have. It's our affections. It's our decisions. It's the words. It's, it all encompasses who we are. That's biblically, that's the word soul. Humans as living and breathing and physical beings and just life itself, that's what it means to love God with all of our soul. And loving God with our being means that it is the center and core of who we are. Like this is like the character and the essence of who I am. Um, You know, a couple years ago, John Piper... um, tweeted out it was one of the most liked quotes which he attributed wrongly to C.S. Lewis is actually by a man named George McLeod where he says uh, you don't have a soul you are a soul you have a body let me repeat that you don't have a soul you are a soul and you have a body Remember that Jesus quoted the great commandment from Deuteronomy 6 from the great Shema, Hear, O Israel, hear that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, and then he talks about love love the Lord your God with all of your heart and then love the Lord your God with all of your soul. So what does it mean in the Old Testament to love God with all of our soul? You know, I don't want to reinvent the wheel and explaining what this word means. Uh, There's a great resource on YouTube called The Bible Project. And The Bible Project, they summarize, they use illustrations and graphics. uh, And they use biblical text to illustrate a point. And uh, this is their little three, four minute explanation of the word soul in the Old Testament, nefesh. Let's take a look. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the word soul. The Hebrew word is nefesh. It occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. The common English translation of this word is soul, and that's kind of unfortunate. Here's why. The English word soul comes with lots of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. It's the idea that the soul is a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's a ghost in the machine kind of idea. This notion is totally foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nefesh means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nefesh is throat. Like when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we miss the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt. Now our nefesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off into slavery in Egypt, his nefesh was put into iron shackles. But nefesh doesn't only mean throat. Since your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nefesh could also be used to refer to the whole person. 
Like in Genesis, there were 33 nefesh in Jacob's family, that is, 33 people. In the Torah, a murderer is called a nefesh slayer, and a kidnapper is called a nefesh thief. On the first pages of the Bible, both humans and animals are called a living nefesh, and if the life breath has left a human or animal, the nefesh remains. It's just called a dead nefesh, that is, a corpse. So, in the Bible, people don't have a nefesh. Rather, they are a nefesh, a living, breathing, physical being. Now, that might surprise you because most people assume the Bible says the soul is what survives apart from the body after death. And while the biblical authors do have a concept of people existing after death, waiting for their resurrection, they rarely talk about it. And when they do, they don't use the word nefesh. So even though nefesh is often translated as soul, the Hebrew word really refers to the whole human as a living physical organism. In fact, this is why biblical people can often use this word to refer to themselves. And gets translated me or I. Like in Psalm 119, most translations read, let me live that I may praise you. In Hebrew, the poet literally says, let my nefesh live that it may praise you. By using nefesh, the poet emphasizes that their entire being, their life and their body offer thanks to God. In the Song of Songs, the young woman constantly refers to her lover as the one my nefesh loves. And of course, love isn't just an intellectual experience, it's an emotion that activates your whole body, your entire nefesh. This helps us understand the brilliance of other biblical poets who could combine multiple meanings of nefesh in one place. Like in Psalm 42, we read, as the deer pants for the water, so my nefesh pants after you. My nefesh thirsts for the living God. So on a physical level, your throat can be thirsty, like a deer's, but then that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your whole physical being longs to know and be known by your creator. Which brings us all the way back to the Shema. To love God with all of your nefesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. It's about offering your entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in the effort to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the Hebrew word for soul. Like how many of you just felt like you just drank out of, of a fire hydrant, right? That was a lot of information, a lot of verses in a short amount of time. But the point is this, that we love with our soul. We devote our physical existence to our creator, that we offer our entire being, all that we are. Uh, all of our capabilities, all of our limitations in the effort to love God and to love our neighbor. So you might be asking, okay, so what? Why does it matter that I'm to love God with all of my soul, with the entirety of my being, with every aspect of who I am? Why does it matter that I love God with my soul? And here's the next point. Why does it matter? It matters because we love God from our whole being because God has saved us in our whole being. Oh, let me say that again. We love God from our whole being, heart, mind, soul, strength, right? Because why do we do that? Because it's from the heart, mind, soul, strength that God has saved us in our whole being. Let me unpack this for us. We're to love God with all of our heart, 
soul, mind, and strength, right? And what area or sphere has God saved us, rescued, redeemed us from? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do you know that if you are in Christ Jesus, that if you have repented of your sins, believed in the gospel, not only are you sealed with the Holy Spirit, but that Jesus has saved your heart. Jesus has redeemed your affections, your desires, your emotions, and your will. Do you know that? Because before Jesus came and rescued you, He redeemed you from a bad heart. He redeemed you from wrong desires. Let me just pause here and and, and say this. There should be a discernible difference between life before Christ and life after Christ. There should be like a difference. There should be like a... uh, a transformation, right? In Romans 12, 1, that we're transformed <clears throat> by the renewing of our mind. The word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, metamorphosis from like a, <clears throat> excuse me, from a caterpillar into a butterfly before Christ and after Christ. And before Christ, God saved you from selfish heart, from a selfish heart, from selfish desires, where it was all about me. It didn't matter how many people I hurt along the way. It didn't matter how many relationships I ruined. It didn't matter how many uh, bridges I burned, but just as long as I make it on top, just as long as I climb up the ladder and my desires were wrong, our desires were wrong because, man, we, before Christ, like, I, I dreaded going to church. I had no desire, no inkling to want to read the Bible. Worship was just singing songs and a bunch of emotions. You, you might even be going to the church and you might have gone through church and maybe skip the singing part or skip the worship part because uh, it was just emotional um, catharsis as it were but you just want to sit through the Filipino word of the day or you want to just sit through and be have intellectual fodder or just because you wanted uh, because of obligation whatever the case may be our desires were wrong our desires were misguided but we're to love God with all of our hearts because God has created in me a new heart. Joel 1.8 says that He has removed my heart of stone, my heart that was resistant to God, my heart that was callous from God, my heart that ran away from God, my heart that wanted nothing to do with God and my affections and my emotions and my feelings towards God. I was completely apathetic to the things of God. And God put in a new heart in me, and He redeemed me, and He saved me from wrong 
bad and evil desires where I wanted to sin. I wanted to rebel. I had a proclivity, an inclination to want to do wrong. And God rescued and redeemed me. And the reason that I love God with all of my heart and my affections and emotions, my being, my will is because he rescued and he saved me in my heart. Does that make sense? So when we talk about that God has saved your soul, we, we're to love God because He saved us, our soul. And soul is not just your spirit, but soul is like your whole life. Jesus has rescued my life from a life of futility that I was wasting away my life and trying to be cool and getting people's approval and, and wasting my life in pursuit of money and popularity and pleasure. This life, this soul, it was a wrong life. It was misguided life. Maybe before Christ, your life was, your soul or your life was maybe marred by divorce. Maybe it was broken by dysfunction of family. Maybe there was generational sins and dysfunctions and substance abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse and verbal abuse. And God has saved you and has saved your life. He has saved your existence, your 24 hours a day, seven days a week here on earth, the breath that you live and how you spend your days, your life, your soul, God has saved you from that. And the reason why we love God with our lives and our soul is because He has redeemed that life. Because before our lives, it was about serving me, myself, and I instead of serving my neighbor. Before, my main goal in life was success and how to be successful instead of being significant in the kingdom of God. Maybe before Christ, it was about earthly treasure and investing in heavenly treasure and the coolest gadgets and keeping up with the Joneses. And that was what your whole life or your whole soul was about. But now God rescued you. He redeemed you. He's given you a new life. And that life now is not just about um, investing in earthly treasure, but now you're investing in heavenly treasure that you are, instead of being selfish, you're being selfless. Instead of serving yourself, you're serving your neighbor and the community, those around you. Uh, maybe he had a life of just being uh, a provider, but maybe you're an absentee dad, absentee mom, or absentee uh, husband or wife. You were married, but you had a lifeless marriage, but God has brought wholeness and God has brought reconciliation. And your life right now has so much more meaning, has so much more purpose and breath. Remember Jesus said, that he has come to give life and life to the full. And the reason why we love God with all of our souls, with all of our lives, with the, the whole being of who we are is because he rescued and he saved our lives. Amen. And God saved our mind. And the reason we love God with our mind is because he has redeemed us from a mind that was cons consumed with maybe anxiety 
and chaos and disorderliness. Maybe there was no peace in our mind. And not only that, but maybe our minds, we had wrong thoughts. We had wrong intentions. We had disordered priorities. And now we love God with all of our minds. We love God thoughtfully because we're fully aware of His presence and we've been renewed and transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's why we love God with our minds. And we love God with our strength because before we were completely impotent when it came to sin. We didn't have the strength to love God or follow God. We're incapable to resist sin. We were completely powerless to the temptation of sin. Ephesians 2 says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked according to the prince of power of the air, according to the sons of disobedience, and were by nature children of wrath. And that was, our. we had no strength. But now we love God with the substance of who we are. We love God with our might, with our hands, with our time, our talent, our treasure. Because He has saved us in our strength. So, uh, let me go ahead and close. Uh, let me just remind us one, once again that we love God from our whole being. Because God has saved us in our whole being. And that we enable to love God with all of our soul means that every part of our life, every part of our being... And how we live our lives, this is how we are to love God. So where did this love come from? It's, it's not a trick question. It's not like what came first, the chicken or the egg. But this is really, where did this love for God come from? Well, there's an interesting story in Luke chapter 7. Remember the story? There was a, a Pharisee. And he invited Jesus over uh, his house to come to have dinner with him. And it was customary that time, this Pharisee, this religious leader, you know, um, hospitality is very big in ancient Near East culture. But this Pharisee, he didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't greet and kiss Jesus. He didn't do anything to show affection for Jesus. And remember, there was this woman of the street, woman of the night, a prostitute, leaned over Jesus, uh, put perfume on his feet, washed his feet, used her hair to dry his feet, weeping, showing affection and love and devotion to Jesus. It was, it was like a very provocative scene. And you remember the Pharisee who invited Jesus was like bent out of shape and just completely appalled at what was happening and he tells Jesus man if you are a prophet you would have known what kind of woman this was she was a sinner and Jesus responds uh, with a story Jesus full of wisdom and the story goes like this like a man had two debtors one owed him five thousand dollars another owed him five dollars and he forgave them both and he asked them who will love him more and the Pharisee says, well, suppose the one who, oh, who canceled the larger, the larger debt in Luke chapter 7, verse 43. And Jesus says, hey, okay, 
because the larger debt was been cleared and has been paid off yeah he will probably he will love more and Luke chapter 7 verse 43 and you know what Jesus said he went to this Pharisee and says hey when I came in here man you didn't even kiss me you didn't wash my feet but from the moment I stepped my foot through this door she has wept over my feet she has washed my feet with her tears and with her hair and she has been forgiven much and what's my point in saying this My point is, where does love come from? Love comes from being stunned by the love of God. This love com comes from being overwhelmed by the person of Jesus, dying on our behalf, rising again. This love is what grips us that uh, you will taste it is to, to like treasure Jesus and to delight in Jesus and to be satisfied in Jesus. So if you've been forgiven much, you will love much. And, and the question is not if you've sinned much, because we've all sinned and fallen short. Like every person that it saw God for who he was, whether Isaiah, for I'm a man of unclean lips, or Moses, right? Every person that encountered God realized their own sinfulness. And once you know that and you come to a realization that God has loved you with an everlasting love, that he died your death on the cross, that he saved you, he saved your life. He saved your mind. He saved your heart. He saved your strength. Of course, we're going to love him. You know, uh, I was sick uh, earlier this week. I had a, I had body aches. I had a sore throat. Uh, you know, there's a phenomenon called man flu where men generally... Uh, get sick worse or they react worse to women who are sick they could be uh, have the same virus but men I don't know what it is but uh, we we have it worse and and you know for two nights I slept on the couch because I didn't want to get Renee sick or the kids sick and uh, one of the nights you know I was having my man flu I was like oh I feel so terrible this is so bad and I had a thought as I laid in bed uh, I was having a tough time sleeping because I napped all day and trying to recover. Um, and at the end of the night, I asked myself, like, oh, man, is this my last night, Lord? Am I ready? Are you ready to take me home, God? You know, overreacting. In, in Tagalog, we call that OA, overacting or overreacting. But uh, I, I, I came to this moment where, like, at the core of who I am, like my soul, like do I love Jesus? And then it started playing through my mind of what will my wife say at my funeral? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or what will my kids say? Or what will my neighbors say? Or what will church members say? And what will my brothers and my, my parents or my family members say about me? 
And my biggest heart, my biggest desire was that it's like, Lord, at the core of who I am, I want people to say like John loved his Jesus with all of his soul. Like John loved at the core of who he is. Yes, he was kind. Yes, he was humble. Yes, he was uh, meek. But like at the core of who he is, like he loved Jesus. And, and that is my prayer for us, church, as we take this time to pray um, that at, at, the, at your soul of who you are, do you love Jesus? Because Jesus has redeemed your life. And if you've been forgiven much, you are going to love much. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you've done. We thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed us. You rescued us from the pit. Lord, you've given us life and life eternal. You've given us abundant life. And so, Father, I pray right now that you, Lord, would create in us a, a, a hunger and a thirst for you, Jesus. That we would love you with our soul. Lord, not just our spirit, but Lord, uh, at the core, at the center of our being and the essence of you, who we are is that we would love you, Lord. I, I pray, Father, that we would realize how much we've been forgiven. We would realize, Lord, the, the, the weight of our sin and the price that you paid on the cross for our sin and that, Lord, We've been forgiven much, and Lord, how can we not love you much? And so, Lord, I just pray that our hearts, Lord, would love you and hunger, Lord, for your presence, oh Jesus. And, and so, Lord, I pray that we'd be transformed from glory to glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.